Welcome back to the Whole Topic Podcast. Today we have Sue Becker, who is, honestly, I'm in tons of groups that do whole grains and your name is always floating around in those groups. Um, uh. <laughs> we are very excited to have you on. I, as you guys know, am a whole grains blogger and a whole foods blogger and she's a gluten-free blogger. So we wanted to sit down today and pick Sue's brain <laughs> for many reasons. So before I ask any of the questions, um, Sue, can you tell us about your background, the, what brought you to Whole Grains, all the things that people should know about you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll try to be as brief as possible, but I guess it started in high school a very long time ago. I love physiology, biochemistry. Those were my jumping off places. I graduated, headed to the University of Georgia as a pre-med student. When I got to the University of Georgia, I was like, I don't really want to be in school this long. And I knew I didn't want that type of grueling career after graduation. I knew I wanted to be a wife and a mother. Not, not that you can't be a doctor and be a wife and a mother, but that was just not what I wanted to do. Though I still love the human body and studying, and those were my favorite um uh, subjects in school. So ended up getting accepted in pharmacy school one quarter there. I'm like, this isn't what I want to do either. So um, ended up in food science. It was an up and coming industry at the time, um, recommended by the dean of pharmacy school that maybe that's what I should go into. And so I graduated from the University of Georgia with a degree in food science. I worked as a bacteriologist for Kraft Foods for almost five years before um, I started having children. I knew I wanted to be a stay at home mom. And I met my husband at the University of Georgia. We married our senior year. And uh, like I said, after graduation, I worked for Kraft Foods. But the thing is, after graduating from college, I continued to study. I laugh and say I probably was a better student after graduation than I ever was in school. But I loved just reading and studying how the body works. Um, in the 70s and 80s, it was the works of Adele Davis was very popular, just looking at nutrition and vitamins and what they do in your body. And I started kind of putting the pieces together and kind of came at everything from the standpoint, if something's wrong with my body, I'm probably not getting a nutrient that it needs. And um, it wasn't focused as much on food then as it was on maybe supplementation or things like that. But still, as time went on, the more I studied, I believed wholeheartedly in eating real food. Um, I grew up Southern, so we ate real food growing up. So when I began to have children, um, I found a pediatrician that was into healthy eating. And um, I just, I cooked. I, I cooked and we ate real meat, real fruit, real vegetables. And even our bread, I tried to do the best I knew how to do. I bought the whole wheat flour from the store which is nasty. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's very gritty and grainy and dry. So I knew, I mean, I had to mix it with white flour and, you know, I added bean flour to it to make it more nutritious than, or I bought what I thought was whole grain flour because it said wheat bread and it was brown. And um, so I clipped along like this and I had five young children at the time. And like I said, I studied, I read, I got introduced to the concept of milling my own grain through a journal. Um, the title of it was How to Greatly Reduce the Risk of Common Diseases. In this journal, the history of white flour was presented, and then a brief discussion of the common diseases that plague Americans 
and how it's directly related to our consumption of the commercially processed flour and bread products that are in the store. With my background, with my passion, with all my studies, this was like revolutionized my thinking. I knew that it was scientifically sound and I knew it was biblically sound, which is very important to me. And um, it made sense. And and part of me is still like scratching my head going, how come I never figured this out before reading this information? But I never did. I didn't think about the processing that was done to the flour. Mm-hmm. To be honest, the deceptive term of enrichment that's on the bags of flour, as a food scientist, I thought, oh, we're doing the, you know, we're doing you a favor by putting all these extra vitamins and things. And we'll talk about that more later, but that's not the case. So I thought I was doing great, but so I was all in, I'm a pretty passionate person. And once I read this information and saw the truth of it, um, I learned about the possibilities of milling my own grain at home. Um, I learned in that journal that whole grains are storable. They're nearly perfect food. They're the most nutrient-dense food that God has given us, but only when they're freshly milled or left whole and intact do they retain their nutritional value. Once that flour is milled, oxidation and loss of nutrients begin to take place. There's some discrepancies over how long that is, but um, from everything I have read, it, it begins to happen, and most of the oxidation occurs shortly after milling. So I was convinced. I bought a grain mill. My husband actually gave me one for my birthday way back in 1991. So I've been at this a long time. And um, so began to mill my own grain. And like I said, I'm pretty all or nothing kind of person. So my attitude was white flowers never coming in this house again, store-bought flowers never coming in this house again. (laughs) But I was thinking that my milled flour would be like the store-bought flour, that it was going to be dry and whatever. And I'm like, I'm not mixing it with white flour though. And I was just, I literally thought to myself, I don't care if we have to choke it down, we're eating it, you know, (laughs) that was kind of my, my feeling. And, um, I couldn't believe it when that mill came I milled flour, I made bread, and it was the most delicious bread I'd ever tasted. Um, It wasn't heavy, it was light, fluffy, and the best part, my children loved it. And then the best part was um, I ate the bread and I pooped the next morning. (laughs) And uh, constipation issues that I had struggled with all my life gone for good since 1991. And, And then, I just one by one, just incorporating real bread. This was the only change in our diet we made, putting it with already the the real whole foods that we were already eating. I saw drastic change in my health. Like I said, the bowel constipation issues gone. Um, I began to notice that I had more energy. I had, like I said, I had five young children. I homeschooled the kids. We were here all the time. I had three young, young, young children that I had had pretty close together, um, went on to have number six and number seven later. But like I said, I just, I noticed more energy. Um, I began to notice that my dependence on antihistamines went away. Um, and I, I attributed it to the bread. That was, that was the only change I had made. And, um, so what I started doing then was, pulling out physiology and biochemistry books and going, what, what's in here? How is this possible? 
Um, some of it I knew from that original journal that I had read, but the sinus congestion, I didn't put the piece together until I realized that now with my body eliminating toxins every day, I didn't have this constant mucus um, buildup in my system. So then I, I just became all around healthier. Um, I always say before bread, some of us talk about before children and after children, but mine was before bread. I regularly had strep throat, usually twice to three times a year. I can't remember the last time I've had strep throat. I had migraines, not as much as I hear some people do, but certainly every now and then. And, and if not a migraine, just this constant heaviness that I always felt like, oh, I have a little headache. A lot of it from sinus congestion, but all of that went away. And I'm telling you, I lived on antihistamines. I took stuff for headaches regularly. And now I can tell you it's, I have not had an antihistamine or a decongestant of any kind since 1991. That's 32 years ago in case you, <laughs> and um, just, you know, uh, I can't remember the last time I took something for a headache because I just don't have them. And then my children, uh, by this point, I'd had, I had my sixth child and they were just healthy and strong. And not to say we never got sick or anything like that, but when we did, we got over it quickly. We didn't need doctor's visits. In the 25 years of raising my seven children, well, then we adopted two. I get real conf confusing. People are like, do you have seven kids or nine kids? I have nine children. I birthed seven. We <laughs> adopted two. But the seven children that were home at one time that I raised over the course of 25 years, we went to the doctor three times in 25 years. That's Amazing. significant. One was an ingrown toenail, so I hardly count. <laughs> but no more ear infections, no more just chronic snotty noses. I mean, I think moms think that, you know, 18 months to two or three years, the kids are just snotty noses. No, my babies born after bread weren't that way at all. They were stronger. They were healthier. Again, we weren't a sickly, sickly family. I mean, we were probably healthier than most. But again, we had those just regular things. Like I said, I was constipated, da, da, da. All those things that I saw completely resolved once we added real bread to yes. our, mm -hmm. our, what we were eating already. So that was the biggie for me. Um, I started making bread for other people, sharing it because I'm passionate. I got to tell you about what I'm excited about. And the next thing I know, people were calling me saying my cholesterol dropped 85 points in a month and all I've changed is this bread you've been you know sharing with me or you know my energy or whatever they started sharing with me things so guess what I did I pull out my biochemistry books and I'm like how is this possible how is this happening and and just finding the nutritional reasons so I became very excited. Also, people started calling me going, okay, I want to make this bread, muffins, pancakes. I want to have this in my home too. Yes. Um, will you teach me how to make bread and where can I get a grain mill? And so after some people ask, um, in 1992, the fall of 1992, um, I met my husband in the driveway. He came home from work one day and I'd been making bread for people all day long, homeschooling my six children, feeding the dog, doing laundry, whatever. 
And I just looked at him and I said, I don't think I'm supposed to make bread for the world. I think I'm supposed to teach the world to make bread for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's how Bread Becker started on my porch swing <laughs> in my driveway with a customer base of four. <laughs> and um, we we started, we called the mill company and said, we want to do this and uh, started selling mills. And I just began sharing my testimony, the testimony of others. And then, and then we have hundreds, thousands of testimonies now. And again, as people share, I try to find out the science behind it. How is this possible? So that's a little background, maybe more than you wanted to know. That's how Bread Beckers came to be. And that's how we got started. No, that's great. I like how thorough you were with that because so how... <laughs> I found out about you. So we grew up, my mom did do some whole grain baking, but I never really knew why it was just the the healthier choice. Um, but then we went for a few years when I got married, we didn't do it at all. And then I think it was two years ago, three years ago, I kind of always cooked with whole grains only because that's what I was taught. Um, but I yeah. didn't eat whole grain or I didn't eat anything outside of like, I didn't even eat whole grains at this point. I just made it for my family because everything that I bought from the store made me sick. It would make me feel like super bloated and just super sick all the time. So I ate nothing. And then, um, there was this video that you did, um, that was being passed around among tons of my mom friend groups, um, called, I think the it was bread of life. the bread of life. Yes. Um, Real bread, the staff of life. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's so many of my friends. And like, like I said, there's groups out there with thousands <laughs> of bakers in them that are now doing whole grain baking because of those little seeds being planted. So once I watched yeah. that video, I was like, you know what, this makes sense. Maybe I could try whole grains. And so of course I did it sparingly because I was afraid of, you know, feeling terrible and it worked. So I have yeah. been able to eat whole grains. My kids eat whole grains, we eat whole grains all the time. But that's going to lead to the first question that I have for you. Um, it might be a two-part question, but can you tell people what, okay, so if you buy flour from the store, what is the process that it goes through? What do they add back in? And why do you think people are sick from it? And then that follow-up question is going to be what's in a grain, but I want to hear that first part from you. Yeah. Well, um, so first of all, um, prior to the 1900s, most of the bread consumed in this country was made at home. Either people had their own flour mill, their grain mill, and they milled their own grain, um, or communities were built up around the miller, the local miller, and they would get their flour uh, fairly freshly milled there. You have to remember families were larger, so they were using larger volumes of flour. But in the late 1800s, it was discovered because what a lot of people don't realize, and we might do this in reverse and say what's in a grain. Mm -hmm. So um, a kernel of grain, wheat is a seed. So when I say bread, I'm talking grains and beans. So whatever is a seed. So the seeds have basic anatomy. The outer surface is called the bran, and it's loaded with vitamins, minerals, and lots of fiber. The innermost part is the germ, and that's where the sprout comes from, loaded with vitamin E and your fatty acids and everything, all the life of the plant, the seed. That's where the little sprout comes from. Everything else in there, in that kernel of grain, is little packets of protein and starch, and it's called the endosperm. And it makes up most of the grain, um, but 
that's for all practical purposes, all that it is. Um, so what happens, <clears throat> excuse me, when you mill this grain into flour, the vitamins, the minerals that are in the bran and germ, and of course the oils that are, I mean, the vitamins and minerals that are in the bran, and then of course the oils and all that are in the germ are now exposed to the air. So the flour actually begins to spoil and go rancid. And so it was probably not known too much that you were losing vitamins to oxidation, but for sure the flour spoiled. So in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they discovered that if they sifted the Brandon germ out and removed all of the oil and all the vitamins and minerals and leave just the white flour portion, the endosperm, the protein and starch, the flour wouldn't spoil. So with this, this led to the invention of what they call the steel rolling mills. It was these big stainless steel rollers. The grain would drop between them, would crush the grain and then go through sifters and sift the Brandon germ away. 86% of your nutrients are lost when they take the bran and germ away. All your B vitamins, all your minerals, your vitamin E, uh, you know, basically what's left in the white flour, the endosperm part is the protein and starch. So this was believed to be a wonderful discovery. Now flour won't spoil. So it, it revolutionized the world. Um, by this time, uh, it was just like, hallelujah, I don't have to mill my flour myself. I can go buy it. It won't spoil. And, and you know, so that was what led to <laughs> what we see today. And what happened here is the first time in history, and this is what a lot of people don't understand. For the first time in the history of the world, white flour and white bread became food for everyone. Rich and poor alike now have white flour at their disposal. Prior to this time, it was reserved for the wealthy, the royalty that had servants or cooks or, you know, their own personal bakers that could sift the bran and germ away and make their fluffier bread. White bread was the rich man's food. The dark whole grain bread was peasant bread. It was the poor people's food. But what they didn't realize was it was um, not a great trade-off. The new white flour that came on the market, now everyone is eating it instead of just the wealthy. Well, three diseases became epidemic. Beriberi, which is a vitamin B1 deficiency. It was um, results in nervous disorders. Pellagra particularly plagued the Southeastern United States where wheat and corn was their mainstay. And, um, but pellagra is a vitamin B3 deficiency. That's niacin. Corn doesn't supply niacin very well. Wheat was the main source. When that was taken out of the, the flour by taking away the bran and germ, pellagra was an epidemic. And I'm talking significant issues here. Uh, one study I read about the history of pellagra said that the, um, which let me back up and tell you what pellagra is. Pellagra is severe, GI disturbances, severe skin eruptions, horrible dermatitis, dementia, and eventually death. It's known as the disease of the four Ds, um, dysentery, uh, dermatitis, dementia, and death. One study I read said that the mental institutions in the southeastern United States were literally overflowing. They did not have enough beds to house the patients. 
The first case of pellagra was actually diagnosed here in Atlanta, Georgia. There were over 30,000 cases in the first year when they started seeing this. Originally, they thought beriberi and pellagra were um, infectious diseases, but, but they eventually traced them to the missing B vitamins that were no longer being supplied by our flour and the bread because they had been stripped away when the bran and germ was taken out. Anemia was a third issue because with the bran and germ being removed, the iron is gone. So mm -hmm. there you have it. Like I said, for all practical purposes, the white flour is protein and starch. Yes, it's amino acids that we need. Yes, it's starches, resistant starches and things that we need, but the vitamins, the minerals, the enzymes and the fiber are all missing from the white flour. Mm -hmm. So, uh, health officials finally traced these diseases to the white flour. They went to the millers, said, you got to put the Brandon germ back in. The millers were like, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> we are, we have found a, another business for the byproducts of the milling process. The Brandon germ was sold to make cattle feed and animal feed, which is still done today around the world. Just so you know, in my travels to Haiti and Tanzania to help start bakeries there, they're doing it. And I mean, it's pig feed in Haiti, the Brandon germ, and it's chicken feed in Tanzania. And it, it's crazy, but um, so they were unwilling. It took until 1948, I believe, for the government to step in and mandate that they enrich the flour. Now, like I said, as a food scientist, when I read enriched flour, I thought you're doing me a favor. You're making it more nutritious than it would have been had you not put those vitamins in there. Uh, that is not the case. And that's when my eyes were opened for the 35 to 40 to who knows really how many nutrients are lost when you take that brand and germ away. They originally only put four back in. Three B vitamins and iron doesn't sound like a great trade off to me. And this is this is what opened my eyes to the whole deception of enrichment. It took 50 more years, 1998 watching rising incidents of birth defects before they trace that issue to the missing folic acid or folates that are found in whole grains. And um, that was lost when they take the bran and germ away. So then it's now mandated that they add folic acid. So three B vitamins, iron, and then folic acid later. Supposedly, <laughs> and I say supposedly, this took care of beriberi pellagra anemia. But I always have to ask this question. How many digestive issues, bowel issues do we have in this country today? How much skin, how many skin issues do we have in this country today? How many nervous disorders, mental issues do we have in this country today? And who knows how much anemia mm -hmm. and uh, and and birth related uh pregnancy related issues. So, uh, and you know, and if that were not enough, the residual oils that can't be completely removed when they take away the bran and the germ cause the flour to yellow. So they decided we couldn't have yellow flour. We wanted it to be whiter and white. So bleaching agents, nitrogen trichloride was used for more than 25 years until they discovered that it caused seizures in dogs. So maybe it might not be a good thing to use. And I've read studies attributing 
some significant health issues to the chlorine um, being used to bleach the flower. Nitrogen trichloride was taken off the market, but a chlorine derivative is still being used today, along with um, benzoyl peroxide. Um, then you probably read studies about adding potassium bromate, um, which interferes with your iodine absorption. So, yeah, it's 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 as much what's missing in the in the flower today as what they're now adding to it. So these these are are significant problems. Not to mention the fiber. Yeah. So that alone has caused the bowel issues and um in that you know it's just we've we've lost one of the most nutrient dense food god's given us and we've altered it and changed it and we wonder why we're sick and now unfortunately wheat is getting blamed for it mm -hmm. when it's not the wheat <laughs> yeah. they've they've got to find something to blame and they're gonna if they can go after the health it's easier to do that than face the truth. Yeah. But basically white flour is almost like yes. eating a cocktail of poison at this point <laughs> for most people. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, and so that's, and, you know, I, I do want to clarify something here because people go, well, I don't eat white flour. I don't eat white bread. I buy the 100% whole grain bread in the store. Huh, guess what? It's still milled on the, any commercially processed flour is milled on the steel rolling mills. The bran and germ is separated away. It is recombined according to some standard to make 100% whole grain flour. But then unfortunately, the proteins, the white flour part, um, they can separate out, which I might be getting a little ahead of myself. We're going to mention gluten here, which is not an evil demon, but the gluten forming proteins that are found in wheat, they can actually separate them out, isolate them completely, powder it, dry it. It looks like flour, but it's not considered flour in the food industry. And they add massive amounts of this pure isolated gluten protein to 100% whole grain bread totally messes up the fiber to flour ratio. And then this isolated gluten in all kinds of foods um and gluten is not a bad guy it's it's not it's it's proteins that's all it is well that actually kind of leads me to a yeah, lot of mine um a lot yeah. of i was diagnosed with celiac when i was five years old and i actually do carry the gene that um is associated one of the genes that is associated with celiac um, I, Andrea has shared your video yeah. with me and actually two other people had shared your videos with me and it got me really in a lot of prayer and thinking, where did celiac come from and why was I diagnosed with that? And, you know, if I, as a young child, when I was told I had to be gluten-free, if we would have, because of celiac, if we would have gone whole grains, would that have made a difference in my life? And all of these questions. Um, one of my big questions is, do you, have you seen people who have been diagnosed with celiac and been able to use it? Because one of my thoughts has been, and it's been something that I, I know at this, I was five years old when I was diagnosed with celiac. I've been gluten-free for 33 years. So there is a little bit of a fear, but there's not too. I, I really want to try it. <laughs> um, and one of them is to use an ancient grain like <laughs> 
einkorn or or something like that and do it in a sourdough form and have you seen people with that have been diagnosed with celiac have success with that that's a loaded question um i'm gonna see if i can answer it a little bit simply the problem today is many many um people are being diagnosed with celiac disease when it's not true celiac disease and I finally found a study that differentiates. There's genetic celiac disease, which you very well could have. And then there's non-genetic celiac disease, which is based on symptoms. It has all the destruction of the villi, the can't eat the bread, you know, can't eat anything with gluten and have these adverse reactions. So let's back it up. I, I've, I've searched a little bit uh, in response to your question. Uh, they really don't know the origins of genetic celiac disease, okay. but it's, it, it affects less than 1% of the American population, less than 1%. That's pretty significant to understand that <laughs> in light of everyone has celiac disease today. Yeah. Chances are what you're telling me, you possibly, probably have genetic celiac disease. Okay. Okay. Most of the time you're diagnosed by the time you're 10 years old, you're a sickly child, you have abdominal pain and issues, um, usually anemic because it destroys the villi. So there's um, nutrient absorption. So you probably have genetic celiac disease. The bad news for you is you cannot eat wheat. Yeah. Not einkorn, not spelt, not sourdough, not nothing, <laughs> not nothing. That wasn't very good English, <laughs> but you, you can't because that genetic disposition, you cannot digest a particular amino acid called gliadin. Um, flour is about 70% uh, protein, white flour, there's starches and other things there. 80% of those proteins are gluten-forming proteins. They're known as, uh, the main one is gliadin and glutenin. Those are unique to the wheat family. They are two proteins that are found in wheat flour naturally. They were not put in there. I want to say <laughs> absolutely wheat is not genetically modified. These proteins have always been there. They're unique to the wheat family. And what they do, gliadin and glutenin, when flour, wheat flour is hydrated, when you wet it, when you mix it up into a dough, when those proteins are hydrated, it forms this stretchy substance called gluten. That's what gluten is. Gluten mm -hmm. is not really in grains. It is something that forms from the proteins that are in grain, that are in wheat. Those proteins are very important to bread making. Mm -hmm. Without gliadin and glutenin, you wouldn't get risen bread. You would have flat bread. <laughs> um, they are not found in other the other family of grains. They're, they're not found in corn. They're not found in rice. They're not found in uh, millet and these other grains. They're not found in beans. And that is why king, wheat is the king of yeast bread making because that's those stretchy strands of protein when you leaven bread with either sourdough or yeast, it produces carbon dioxide and the stretchy strands of protein allow the bread to rise. That's all 
gluten is, is proteins, okay? So, I hate to tell you, you probably, you probably will have trouble. Um, I've even spent the last two weeks researching modern wheat versus ancient mm -hmm. wheat, and they actually have found that um, einkorn actually has more gliadin than some of the modern varieties today. So, uh, it's still considered toxic for tr true celiacs is what I call right. it, or genetic celiacs. So, um how would you know, or is there any kind of um, scientific to know if you are a non-genetic celiac or a genetic celiac? Knowing that I carry one of the genes is, is a good indicator. It, pro it could be, yes. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean you necessarily have it, but also your symptoms, even when yeah. you were young before yeah. gluten, I mean, before celiac was such even a popular thing. buzzword. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I will tell you one of on my podcast, Sue's Healthy Minutes, I interviewed, I think it's episode 66. Yeah, I wrote some of the episodes down. Um, girl Sarah Valentine shares her testimony. She was diagnosed with celiac at 10. So she had been celiac all these years. Um, but she didn't do the antibody testing. Have you ever had the antibody testing done? No, I haven't. Okay, so she didn't do it either. Um and she has discovered either, this is what she says, either it was a misdiagnosis and she never had true genetic celiac or mm -hmm. God healed her. Um, because with fear and trembling, her mother watched the real bread of staff of life, started making bread. And she had been, she had been gluten-free for 10 years. Wow. And she said, gluten-free and dairy-free that mm -hmm. both of them really disrupted her digestive and mm -hmm. bowels and just made her sick. She said dairy, she could cheat on a little bit, but gluten, Never. not at all. And um, she came home from school one weekend and her mother had bread made and her brothers and her mother all were like, just try it, just try it. And finally she, she gave in with fear and trembling and tried it. She had, she had absolutely no pain no suffering she had the best bowel movement she had had in 10 years the next morning she slept she felt great she, she said i can eat this bread so that's her testimony is either it was a misdiagnosis or god healed her because she said she had been praying so um but those are just things that you can look for now like i said non-genetic celiac disease which so many people are being diagnosed with really today and they're not being told that two things I think I read a statistic that about 60 percent of people self-diagnose yeah. they just decide because it doesn't take rocket scientists to know if that bread gives you stomach pains and right. diarrhea and makes you sick so sure. you quit eating that and you feel better so you say okay I must have a gluten sensitivity sure. or then some is misdiagnosed because the, the processed flour that we're consuming in the store, the excessive amount of isolated gluten or it being in excessive amounts in bread products and, and cakes and cookies and things like that and in seasoning mixes and soy sauce and everything. The excessive consumption of this without the vitamins, the minerals, the enzymes and all the other things that go in with that grain is causing the laying down of the villi, the stomach pain, and all the symptoms of celiac disease. And unfortunately, 
a lot of medical diagnosis is based on symptoms. So um, people are getting diagnosed with that. I cannot begin to tell you the hundreds of testimonies of people that tell us I was gluten-free, couldn't, you know, couldn't eat bread from the store. And then I started milling and I not only can tolerate it, it has drastically improved my health. I've never felt better. I don't have bowel issues at all. So um, that's when I started doing the research and learning the, the term of non-genetic celiac disease. Yeah. So unfortunately, it may be a trial and error thing for mm-hmm. you. Um, and, uh, but we, and we have not seen that people have to eat einkorn or spelt or kamut. Okay. Um, now, some people absolutely say they... They can digest those better than the modern wheat. And they kind of look at the modern wheat as a a terrible thing. It, it's not. I just spent two weeks. Next week's podcast is going to be all about debunking the myths of modern wheat. But, um, you know, I'm not going to deny if some people say I can digest this better than that, then, then that's truth. Um, but there, you know, there may be other issues like starches or resistant starch or things like that going on. It's, it's not necessarily gluten, gluten. unless now, you're celiac, unless you're a true genetic celiac, then you, you got it, you know, no, you can't eat. Yeah. I just, before she goes on to her next thing, she has a lot of questions. This actually leads into something else. Like I know a lot of people that are gluten-free that don't have celiac. Mm-hmm. They're terrified to try whole grains. They want to, I think they're like as desperate as you. Yeah. They want to try them. Yeah. But they're so afraid. What would you say to the person that um, has had all of those symptoms you described, the diarrhea, the hurting stomach, like all of that stuff that goes with it, that is so terrified of trying it, but maybe they should give it a try. I would encourage them just to do it. Pick a day when you don't have a, a meeting, a presentation, or <laughs> you know something going on, and and try a small amount. Yeah. Li- and listen to Sarah Valentine's testimony. Listen to there's another one. Let's see, I wrote them down. Uh, um, episode fifty five. Daryl Bice. He absolutely said that if he ate bread from the store, he would be so sick. He was construction um, superintendent. He said, my most important thing that I would look for when I went on the job is where were the porta porta potties? Where were the bathrooms? Where could I get? He said it was debilitating. And um, he he's fascinating. He came in the store and shared, um, started sharing his story with one of my employees. And she said, so you mean the bread helped you? And he goes, no, the bread didn't help me. It fixed me. It cured me. It ended it. And it's an amazing testimony, and we have we have stories like that all the time. You've been listening to the Whole Topic Podcast. To hear more, to see behind the scenes, or to get a hold of us directly, visit our socials, Facebook and Instagram, The Whole Topic Podcast. If you'd like to hear more from Andrea, visit her blog at dearmark23.com, where she talks about whole foods, whole grains, and whole living. If you'd like to hear more from Stephanie, visit theranchershomestead.com where she talks about simple living, gluten-free recipes, and farm life. If you'd like to see more from me, visit wildandforestcare.com where I talk about simple living, wild recipes, and natural remedies. Thank you for listening and God bless.